I quit the mafia to become a housekeeper. Now I'm a made man. <laughs> hey, shh. Welcome back, everyone, to Not Another Needless Sequel, where we talk movies and propose unnecessary prequels, sequels, reboots, and remakes. I'm your host, Kane, and today I have with me my wife, Kelsey. What do you hear? What do you say? <laughs> Kelsey will be my co-host as we discuss 2021's The Many Saints of Newark. So what is the plot of this movie? For anybody who doesn't know, this is the prequel to The Sopranos. But it's about Dickie Moltisanti and his influence that he had on Tony up until his death. So this movie opens up with a walkthrough of different graves. And as it's passing through each grave, you hear a voiceover by whoever it was that's buried in that grave. Most of them are just insignificant people until it passes by the grave of uh, Christopher Moltisanti, which is a main character of the TV show Sopranos. What a cold open. I know. Yeah, I mean, I it was really good. I One, I would have liked to hear, like, some voiceovers of other people that might be buried in the same thing. People from the TV show. Like, can you imagine Bobby Baklava being like, I was just trying to buy trains. <laughs> You know, we've already spoiled the hell out of The Sopranos. If somehow you have not seen The Sopranos and you're still wanting to, like, don't listen to this for sure and don't watch the movie. But also, get on with it. All right. One of the greatest shows of all time. Eddie Falco, who played Carmela Soprano, actually filmed a scene that was initially going to be the opening to this. And there's no information on that scene, but I would have liked to see that because I almost imagine if they did that, that had to explain what happened at the end of The Sopranos well, if she filmed a physical scene. I feel like the only assumption to make here is that it would have been her on Tony's grave, buried next to Christopher, even though like I refuse to believe Tony died. It could have also been, I guess, now I'm saying this, like it could have just been her standing at his grave and then that wouldn't have given away anything about tony necessarily yeah if she was at the grave yeah i mean at this point like they can never do anything with tony again so saying that he's dead well, we had this discussion beforehand but i do think that he died no <laughs> i refuse to believe tony died everyone so in the beginning after the grave walkthrough of course it's christopher's grave he talks about his father a little bit dicky multisante which the film's title actually comes from the name multisante which translated from Italian, it means saints or many saints. And so that's the many saints of Newark. You can nearly take it as it's the Moltisantes of Newark. Oh, cool. Another interesting thing about that is they introduced Dickie Moltisante. Uh, the actor did not realize that he was playing the lead role until filming had begun, which I think a lot of people seeing the trailers, including myself, kind of assumed... It was just going to focus on Tony solely with just other people influencing him, of course, but him as the main character. When we first watched the movie, we were like, man, old boy's James Gandolfini's son really wasn't in it. Yeah, not that much. Michael, is that his name? Mm -hmm. Michael, yeah. Michael Gandolfini isn't a huge, huge role. So you see Dickie Moltisante, he's going to meet his father. He's walking with Tony, who is his nephew. I guess they're not really related. So he meets his father. His father is bringing over his new wife from Italy, I assume somewhere over there, uh, Giuseppina. And when Dickie sees Giuseppina, I mean, it's nearly like love at first sight. He looks at her and you can see it immediately in his eyes that he has a thing for this woman that's, you know, technically his stepmother. They're basically the same age. 
I know. They are. She's I mean, his very young. She's way younger than his father. I mean, you see them even at dinner after that, their first dinner together as like a family. And Dickie's like lovingly pouring her wine and just ignores his father and his rude ass father like slams his cup on the table like a few times is like me too. The dinner ends with them going to bed. Dickie's laying in bed and I guess his father's in the room over having sex with Jessamina. And it sounds like he's fucking dying. (laughs) (laughs) It is the loudest, most ridiculous sex scene I've ever heard. I think that was just an homage to The Sopranos. You're right. I mean, a lot of times Tony had aggressive sex that was just like he's breathing really Yeah, which we all know Tony's an audible breather anyways. Yeah, but Ray Liotta was in there like, ugh. (laughs) It's so much. So anyway, you get a scene where they introduce Harold. He's a runner for Dickie. He's chasing down somebody who I guess ripped them off. Dickie pulls up and they, you know, demand that this guy pay them more money, whatever. You get this feeling that Dickie does not really treat Harold with a lot of respect. And not to mention, this movie takes place during the real life events of the riots in Newark. And there was just a really divided city there with races. I mean, they show it in The Sopranos as well as this, that just old Italians, they are very racist and they say a lot of messed up things. And you can see that, that even though Harold works for him and he kind of acts like he's his friend, it comes out throughout the movie a lot that he has no respect for him. He treats him terribly. But you see Harold's family and they're talking about how hard life is and you can see it's completely opposite of Dickie's family where they're, you know, living very well. They're able to do whatever they want. They have nice cars. And even though Harold works for him, his family, you can see the house, even the the way that they kind of film it, the coloring is a lot dimmer there, that kind of thing. And so, you know, Harold's life, you can see, is not great. Next is Janice's confirmation. That's when you get introduced to John Bernthal, who plays Johnny Soprano, which is Mm-hmm. Tony's father. And he does a great job. Like, yeah. I, I mean, so many of the actors, like, I could go on and on about how well so many of them played these parts that either we've seen before extensively. I mean, Johnny Soprano showed up in The Sopranos in a few little flashbacks, not too often, but they do an excellent job. You get more of an introduction of the entire DeMeo crime family and you get to see people that you eventually see in The Sopranos. You know, you see a young pussy, a young... Uh, Sill, a young Polly, all of them. And they're also talking about just some of the stuff that the crime family's going through. He mentions one of his runners ripped them off, that kind of thing. And there's the beginnings of these other gangs rising up. Even when they, like the next scene after that, they're at Satriali's, which is the pork store that is a very common place in The Sopranos. Tony's hanging outside of there all the time. And so, you know, that's a callback to that. I think it just goes to show how they never really, like, evolved or changed. Yeah, I mean, it's been the same, you know, they've been running the same kinds of operations for years. Yeah. And it's just, you know, changed hands, inherited by younger members, that kind of thing. But they mentioned that the Black Saints, which is one of the gangs that is rising up, And it was actually the guy that they chased down in the beginning. Like, he had a vest on that said Black Saints on the back. That they were, you know, really bothering them and just causing issues. Which, there's like a very quick scene, I guess, where you see a taxi driver driving a stranger. And the stranger tells him to turn down this one road. He doesn't want to because it's a dead end. Of course, customer's always right kind of thing. It's one way, yeah. Yeah, it's a one way. So he says, turn anyway. And the taxi driver turns 
He's immediately pulled over by the police. They pull him out and beat him. They steal all of his money. And that immediately goes to, uh, like I said, the real life events. They show Dickie driving down the road and he's blocked off in front of the police precinct. There's a protest. There's a lot of people standing out there. The cop claims they're throwing bottles and bricks. A couple guys had to go to the hospital. Dickie goes backing up. Uh, somebody throws a brick at his car, I guess. It looks like it like bounces off his car, hits him in the head. He gets out to see who it was. He doesn't actually see anybody. Like he looks kind of ridiculous. He gets out and he's all looking around, his head's bleeding. And immediately a bunch of dudes come up and try and flip his car. He pulls out a gun. Like, And the point of all this is that you're seeing right away that the city is torn. Dickie goes into the rest of the family and he tells them to look outside and they can see the sky is lit up orange. That's when the riots began, when things got violent. But during this time, Tony's dad gets arrested. Yes, they do show a scene that was in The Sopranos, the Sopranos. Mm -hmm. where Johnny took uh, Janice to the fair. It's a, it's a famous, like, it's still around today, whatever that is over there. It's not a fair, but uh, I can't think of the name. Anyway. Pony Island? No, no, no. But he takes her over there because he's going to play a card game and... <laughs> Tony says he didn't take him because he passed gas at lunch. Yeah, because I passed gas while he was eating lunch. I was like, that's so messed up because everybody always calls Tony fat, like a fat kid, yeah. fat this, fat that. And they're just further making fat jokes and like homaging to, I guess, Tony's mental health issues in the show. Yes. And I, I really love that scene where he gets picked up. When Johnny gets picked up, I mean, first of all, Tony sees what I believe is the first person he's ever seen killed in front of him. That uh, guy one. ended up living. Remember, he oh, said yeah, his right. insides still don't work right. Yeah, he says he's still having problems with bowel movement. Anyway, there's a guy there that gets shot in the back two, three times. Mm -hmm. Tony sees that. That's shocking for a kid. So the cops arrest Johnny. They take Janice and Tony back home. And their mother, which uh, she... Again, like I've said, they all did such a good job, but she did one of the best jobs of acting like Livia Soprano. Like I said, uh, John Bernthal, like he did a great Johnny, but he only had a couple episodes to compare to. Livia's a long-lasting character in the show. She's got a lot of stuff going on. Vera Farmiga, she played Livia Soprano. She did a fantastic job. They said that they did her makeup in a way to make her look like the actress yes, that played. Her nose is different. Yeah, so they did a real good job with the makeup, but her accent is so on point. Like, she sounds just like her. Mm -hmm. And it's it's so much more than just doing a Northeastern accent. They have their, their mannerisms as well just down. Like, they did an amazing job. Like, it's really a credit to her as an actress, I believe. So she's yelling at them, and Tony goes running off the street. And this scene is amazing to me. It's cutting between Tony and the riots. And you see Harold get involved in the riots as well. You see a cop just open fire on a street just start shooting he i mean he kills three four people there's you see a woman running up and her child is dead yeah it's i mean it's very sad and one of the things that they actually did is they took actual photos from the real life events and recreated them for a lot of the things obviously some of this i'm sure they added a little bit here and there but i feel like showing things like that you need to be yeah you do want to be accurate i mean historically people accurate really experience these things right and then um it goes to isn't it dickie's dad kicks the girl in the back yeah, you do see a scene, Dickie's, uh, Hollywood Dick is Dickie's dad. You see a scene where he's yelling at his wife, Jessapina, for leaving her douchebag in the shower. shower. Mm -hmm. And she, she says, uh, she curses at him in Italian, and she goes running down the stairs, and he kicks her in the back down the stairs. And later on, you see a quick scene between Jessapina and Dickie where they're talking about that, and, you know, Dickie knows that 
she got hit because I guess his dad used to hit his mom as well. And later on, during all that turmoil, he gets in the car with his father who's about to leave and he confronts him about hitting Josephina. His dad being who he is, he's, I mean, he's a dick through the whole entire, his entire scenes in the movie, he's a dick. And, and I don't just mean Hollywood dick. I mean, this guy's an asshole. There you go. <laughs> anyway. He got there, boys. <laughs> you know, he's basically, he says something, the last straw, he says something like, what can I tell you? I marry sluts or something like that, insulting not only Jessapina, but Dickie's uh, birth mother. Dickie loses it. Yeah, Dickie it's... has a real just moment of rage, which I think, I feel it kind of shows that that's something that, I, you don't want to say Tony inherited, but it's the same thing with Tony. You know, he can be calm, cool, that kind of thing, but he has rage, like real fucking icy red rage. And that happens to Dickie. He grabs Hollywood Dick's head. Well, they kind of get into a scuffle, but eventually he grabs his head and he's hitting it against the wheel of the car and they drive the car into the garage, but he kills him right there. And it's just the rage. The rage, I think, is really what got him. I mean, you see moments in the original show, The Sopranos. Uh, Tony never hits Carmela as far as I remember, but I remember specifically a scene where Carmela mentions that she was in love with another man and Tony grabs her by the throat, puts her against the wall and he raises his fist and he just stops and throws her to the side and he punches the wall a few times just straight through the wall. And that kind of rage, I think, is what led to Dickie killing Hollywood Dick. Luckily for Dick, I guess, the city turmoil is the perfect excuse for him to get rid of his father's body. He goes driving into the city, and as he's driving, he's quickly cut off by a crowd of fleeing people. You see they're being chased down by a tank. I nearly thought that this tank was going to open fire on these people because they stop at this intersection, and the guy in the top in the turret turns towards all the people running. I thought this was going to be a horrible scene. I mean, it is kind of horrible anyway, because these soldiers walk up to Dickie, who has got his dead father in the passenger seat, and his father's face is caved in. Granted, he fell over, but it's not like this is like, oh, this guy's breathing. Well, remember, they put the flashlight in the car, and they said, he's good, he's white. Yeah, they straight up say that. He's white, and they just let him go. Meanwhile... He had a dead body in the car, but they're too worried about chasing down these people that were protesting somewhere. Now, yeah, there's people breaking windows and shit, but this is definitely was not about that. So he goes to one of his father's businesses, which is like a car repair shop, something like that, an AutoZone style thing. And he burns it down, putting his body in there, burning it. So Dickie goes to meet with his uncle, who is played by Ray Liotta as well. So it's his father's twin. He claims that his father never wanted him to see him. Uh, Uncle Salvatore, I think he calls him Uncle Sally. And he's wanting to do a good deed, which he doesn't say this to him about why he wants to do the good deed, but it's very clearly because he feels bad about his father. He's trying to do something good. And his uncle tells him, you can bring him a jazz record. Kind of an introduction that he's beginning this relationship with yeah, his uncle. I, I think it says that his uncle say that we were never allowed because I murdered a made man yes he like um uncle sal is very much like you don't need to come visit me i deserve to be here i murdered a made man in our own family like he's pretty much accepted it he's a very plain guy he's nothing like hollywood dick no like, and you kind of makes me wonder who he murdered and why because he is so calm 
you would almost wonder what happened there. I mean, hell, I could see a storyline where Hollywood Dick murdered the person and he took the fall for it, being that they're twins. Oh, but I don't know. I'm just yeah. making, I'm pulling that, I'm talking out of my hat. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you guys, we shouldn't have done this movie. I love this movie. Anyway, also the scene where you see that Dickie has immediately begun a relationship with Jessapina. <laughs> so weird. So, so weird. It's, it's, yeah. And now. He buys her a house. Yes, he buys her this house and, you know, they're kissing, nearly having sex on the floor there. Now, it is, unfortunately, a thing where it's just accepted that the men in these crime families have gumars. It's just their mistresses on the side. You get a follow-up scene of Tony, young Tony, getting suspended from school because he was running, like, a gambling... I'm not even sure what they were gambling on. I was a little confused about that. They were not picking the... numbers, and then it showed on the intercom They that guy said 16 absences. The number of absences in the day. And he's like, 16? He's like, I won! Yeah, he yells it out, and I think almost that's what got everybody in trouble, because they are yeah. like, what are you talking about? So he gets in trouble. He goes up there to talk to him, you know, telling him he can't run that kind of thing. And he pinky swears with Tony that he would try to be good. I think in this time he says, you want to be on the football team in high school? And in that moment, I was like, he never had the makings of a varsity athlete. <laughs> yeah, he says, like, <laughs> this isn't you're gonna... smoking and you're wanting to be on the team? Oh! Yeah, yeah, all in that speech. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, he never did have the makings of a varsity athlete. He is smoking hella young. Again, I don't know how old he's supposed to be. And if we got too far into it, I know the timelines are not right. With the Sopranos and this show, everything's a little off, but we're not going to do that. It's no point. The point is, is he seems super young and he's smoking. You see him outside of Holston's with Artie Bucco smoking. So after that, we get a time jump to Johnny getting out of prison. And of course, now this is where Michael Gandolfini takes over for his father. And again, I've talked this to death, but Michael Gandolfini portraying his father is perfect. I know he's his son. He should look like him. But it's more than that. Again, he has his mannerisms down. Like, he stares like him. He wipes his fucking nose like him. It's everything. They said that he had to redo some takes because he was too much like his father in the show. And they said, you know, you're not quite supposed to be there yet. You, you're you not an experienced gangster yet, you know? So some of the stuff you need to pull back on. So he ended up having to reshoot a lot of scenes. But it's like not because he was bad, because he was too good. Mm-hmm. And that's insane. Anyway, so we also cut back to Harold, who I didn't get to mention it, I guess, but he left earlier before the time jump. You see that he gets out of town because he murders that runner that kept stealing from them on Dickie's orders, sort of. Really, Dickie doesn't tell him to do it, but Dickie says something to him like, shouldn't you be embarrassed? Mm -hmm. And like insults him yet again. So he gets out of town for that murder. But after this time jump, you see him coming back and you can see that Harold is kind of being radicalized by the world around him. He's continuing to see how his people are treated, how he's considered lesser than even by people like Dickie that he works for. And he mentions that he wants to stand against them. He wants to start his own business, that kind of thing. Initially, his close people around him are like, are you crazy? Like they call those people soldiers for a reason there's we can't do this and you know he's like fuck that we're gonna do it and that is you know kind of a through line through the rest of the thing is that he is looking to grow his business yeah he specifically goes into like a black owned business 
and says you're never giving them your shares again. They go up to the car and shoot the people and take their money. He's he is very much attacking them directly. It's more than he's just starting his own business. He gets very personal against not only the DeMeo crime family, but specifically Johnny's group. The DeMeo family decides to, after you know one of their guys is killed outside of that business and Harold is taking over, they want to know what the fuck, like who ordered this, and they go to Harold's kind of right-hand man, Cyril, mm-hmm. at their shop, and he's asking who the fuck ordered this. He doesn't believe it's Harold. He wouldn't think Harold would do this to him. You get a fucking brutal scene of them torturing him i mean they so do they kill, kill him but yeah they put the the thing for rotating the tires in his mouth it's oh my god like you wouldn't have to do that to me buddy i would tell you immediately if you brought that out you remember the scene in deadpool 2 cables torturing uh what's his face or he's gonna torture him and he's like you don't need to count to five i won't make it to two i'll tell you everything right yeah now. yeah <laughs> like which there's a funny scene amongst that horror that when Cyril, after they run his teeth through his mouth, Cyril uh, tries to get up because they're going to do it again. And, you know, you can't have that. As he's getting up, he knocks over Sill's wig. Yes. <laughs> Sill was balding earlier in the movie, but then he's got this full head of hair. And through the show, he's got a full head of hair. But it's a wig, I guess. It's like hanging off. He, he shoots Cyril, and then he's just standing there with his wig hanging off his head. He has to fix it. And yeah. That's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, and Polly also got upset with his jacket, which is kind of a thing in the show. Polly's like kind of a vain man. He cares very much about the way he's dressed, the way he looks, that kind of thing. And before they do it, he's like, this is a new jacket. And when the blood gets on his jacket, he yells about it. So... Cue Tony getting yeah. talking with the guidance counselor. Tony's in trouble again at school for stealing some test answers, and that's when they mention to his mother that he's got a very high IQ and he's got the personality traits to be a leader, which is something that you do see in the show. He is a very smart guy, even though they all they all seem kind of dumb in their own way. Tony's secretly like a lot smarter than a lot of the people there, and he very much is a leader. Yeah, I think that whole entire meeting, it goes to show, like, with his mom, that his family never believed he was smart or would amount to anything. They didn't believe in him at all. But it also showed Tony being a very lovable person, and all he ever wanted was love and acceptance from his parents, which he never got, which led to his mental health issues and how he acted in The Sopranos. Yeah, he does mention, or the guidance counselor does mention that he told her a story about one of the best memories of his life, and it was his mother reading him a bedtime story. And cuddling him. Yeah, and, you know, it's depressing that that's, like, one of his best memories, and, like, he hangs on to that, and yet you see his mother just kind of berating him at every turn. Yeah, and I think it also goes to show, like, when they go home, she made him a burger, and he was like, oh, thank you, like, this never, he never gets it, he was so excited, and he said that she should go see the doctor, and she's like, I don't go to him because he wanted me to take some mental health pills, and nothing's wrong with her, and when he was like, I think you should listen to the doctor, she got very, very upset and was rude to him. Yeah. Um, and basically blamed everything on him, which, as we know, like, a lot of people write off mental health, but especially older generations and stuff, they write off mental health. They don't believe that anything is wrong. That scene very much feels like James Gandolfini arguing with, I, I don't know her name, unfortunately, the woman that played Livia in the show. Like, it mm-hmm. plays off so well. He seems just like it. You even see he does this thing in The Sopranos as well, where... 
when he's in these kind of awkward situations, he sings. He does that as he's reading the pamphlet. He starts singing a song, and, you know, she starts accusing him of smoking pot. I'm always being accused. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, you get a scene where Harold comes for Dickie and his crew because of what they did to Cyril. They drive by. Um, they absolutely blow Buddha's head away. I wasn't expecting it. Dickie is holding either. Buddha by his jacket, punching him in the face because Buddha said something about Jessapina. And they blow a brick-sized hole in his head. Yes, they do. Or crazy. Anyway, they get into a shootout there, and they have this eventual scene where Dickie runs back into this restaurant. He grabs, like, the shotgun from under the bar. He blasts a hole in the door when he thinks that Harold is there. And Harold looks through the hole, and they lock eyes, and it's this very tense moment. that I think it looks really cool the way that it's shot, where you can kind of see that they understand that moment, that it's their friendship is definitely done. And Harold, of course, runs because you hear the cops coming. It goes to Buddha's funeral. Yes, so at Buddha's funeral, Tony tries to talk to Dickie outside of the funeral about getting his mother some of the pills that the doctor prescribed. He says... You know, I see the way she looks up to you. You could talk to her, get her to get these pills or take these pills and you could get them because you mm -hmm. can get things. And he's like begging for this help for his mother. And it's it just says a lot like, you know, he had this argument with his mom, but he thinks this can help her. He's like, I think it'll make her happy. That kind of thing. He says even Janice and, you know, Dickie says some shit about we shouldn't listen to Janice. But either way, he's really trying to help his mother. He's not writing her off. Yeah. Dicky kind of says no, but at the same time, you see him take the pamphlet and stuff in his pocket. Like, mm -hmm. Dicky will do anything for Tony. He very much loves him and wants to take care of him and help him in any way that he can. I think another important moment at this funeral is Junior walking out and he slips and, yeah. like, hurts his back. I don't know if he breaks he it. He hurts I his don't back because it comes up in it. The Sopranos as well. That his back's not right. Yeah, and like it shows in the moment that everybody is laughing at him, but it really focuses in on Dickie. Yeah, he da and... stares daggers at Dickie and it, it even kind of the way that the camera goes, it almost makes Dickie look evil. Like yeah. he's standing over him. It's this pouring rain. It's yeah. very dark out. Um, But yeah. And, and I want to mention this because I don't think we'll get to it, but it goes forward to junior being in bed with a woman and he's like on top and he can't because his back is hurt and then he's on bottom and he can't and his back is hurt and the woman makes a comment and she said any excuses not to fuck and my question is which we have not talked about at the end of the movie do you think that is what sent him over the edge because i do i have 100%. written down here junior not getting laid for a month was the nail in the coffin for dicky yes it literally like her <laughs> yes. comment her comment about like him not wanting sex or anything like that is what sent him over the edge yes absolutely without a question that was it he couldn't take it after that he was like i am gonna kill dicky so after the funeral tony follows up with dicky about the medicine and he's asking him to get it for him. At the same time, Dickie gives Tony a couple of stolen speakers. Tony's kind of saying, I can't get caught with these. These are cool, but I don't want them because, you know, I'm trying to join the NFL. I can't do this. Dickie says something like, so you take this and you tell yourself this is the last thing you're ever going to steal and you stick with it. And then you see Tony, he does take the speakers. You know, he looks up to Dickie. So Dickie says this, he's going to go with it. Mm -hmm. And you see him at home listening to the speakers. He's got two of them on each side of his head. And this very much shows his love for media kind of growing as a teenager because in the TV show, The Sopranos, you see very often 
He loves to watch these old, old movies. He loves music. Like, it, it's not a constant thing in the show, but anytime they can, they have him really enjoying music and movies. He loves media like that. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of one of the reasons, I think, is yeah. that his Uncle Dickie, they looked up to, gave him these speakers. So after that, you get a scene where Dickie and Jessapina are having, like, a date day kind of thing, and, you know, they're having a great time. You know, having sex in these bathrooms... Dickie tells Jessapina that he went ahead and bought her that salon. And this is when Jessapina comes clean about having slept with Harold. And Dickie loses it. And, and he murders her. He drowns her in the ocean. Yes. Dickie goes to meet with Salvatore after this again in jail. And again, he's wanting to do another good deed. And it's like because he just murdered somebody again. Just like when he murdered his father, he went to go see him. Mm-hmm. And during this, I also kind of got the feeling that his uncle knows that Dickie killed both Jessapina and Hollywood Dick. I feel like he knows, and he's known the whole time. Because he, you know, he follows that up with, one thing you can get your nephew for Christmas is stay away from him. Yeah. Don't talk to him anymore. And I think it's because he knows. I think he knew in the beginning when he first had that meeting. I think he just is kind of an intuitive guy. So Dickie takes Salvatore's advice, and he abandons tony you see tony is hanging out with carmella and maybe richie april i i don't think they say who the other kid is that he's with could be richie could be jackie I, i'm not sure which anyway you see that he is with them and he's calling dickie to try and get some beer i assume yeah. they said a brand but i don't know i never heard of it i'm assuming they're trying to get beer and dickie doesn't say anything he just hangs up the phone and Tony is, like, kind of shocked. He says something's wrong with this phone. I think he knows nothing's wrong with the phone, but either way, he's shocked. He calls again to the house, I guess, and he speaks to his aunt, uh, Dickie's wife, asks if he can speak to Dickie, and you hear Dickie on the other end say, give me the phone, and he hangs it up. Yeah, and then whoever the guy is, is keeps talking crap, which sends Tony into his first rage. Yeah, you see real fucking... Ra- I mean, when he turns his head slightly and looks at him, I mean, God, you... Again, you see James Gandolfini. Yeah. You see the rage in, that he would show in the show. One of the things that James Gandolfini, I guess, apparently did while filming The Sopranos was he said he'd do shit like not sleep and like drink a lot of coffee or like not smoke to like get that rage. Crazy shit like that. But you see it. And, yeah, he gets into a fight with him. You see him. He shoves Carmela to the ground, and she tries to stop it. Then Tony goes to this warehouse where Dickie and kind of all the people in that, like, group are unloading a truck. And Syl opens the door, and he tells him Dickie's not there. And he's like, well, I I see his car. And Syl's like, his battery's dead. And they lock him out. And he's out there banging on the door just over and over, trying to get in to talk to Dickie. And... Because he just doesn't know what he did. He feels like he did something. Then you see Syl go and talk to Dickie and tell him, like, he's out there. And Dickie says, just turn the lights off. Like, I'm not going to do this. There's also a scene within this. I think it's maybe a little before this. But anyway, I just want to mention it before I keep going with this scene. Where Tony runs home and he throws the speakers that Dickie gave him out the window. And he's, like, very emotional. It's not anger at this point. It is real sadness like he is on the verge of tears yeah it's his only role model that that's really the father in his life johnny's been an asshole and johnny's been i know johnny was apparently only gone for four years but even then you know that kind of lifestyle johnny's not in the house all the time and 
Dicky is someone that's always been nice to him, always guided him, that kind of thing. And he feels like he lost that for no reason. Mm-hmm. And so he's heartbroken. I mean, it's a very emotional scene. It gets to me. And then you see that as Dickie's leaving the warehouse that they were at, Sil stops him and he's kind of like, listen, I don't know what happened between you guys, but Tony could be somebody in this thing of ours. I think you should talk to him. Dickie's, you know, you can see because there's a scene of Dickie crying at the warehouse. He doesn't want to not talk to Tony. He's trying to do right by Tony based on the advice from his uncle. And he just, I guess, gives up at that point. He says, fine, you know, tell Tony Holston's 9 a.m. And Dickie never makes it to Holston's. He goes home and he's shot in the back of the head as he's unloading the truck. And then you get this cut of the street in New Jersey, where you see Junior hobbling across the road. The first time I saw I didn't know who the fuck it was hobbling across the road. I was like, who is this? Like, what is going on? And he's going to answer the phone where he gets the phone call letting him know it's done. So you see that Junior ordered the hit. You then see Tony is at Holston's the next morning waiting for Dickie. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, it's, to me, it's, it's a small scene. It's quiet. There's no... No dialogue, but it's so heartbreaking because this just continues at the moment for him believing that he's been abandoned by his uncle. Plus, I mean, it calls back because Holston's, if you didn't know, is the restaurant that was the restaurant they're at in the last episode of The Sopranos where Tony may or may not have died. Don't they go to Dickie's funeral? Yes, they follow that up with him going to Dickie's funeral. And then they say that Elaville, which was the drug... Yeah, they found it in his pocket. pocket And he had gotten it for Tony. Mm -hmm. And his mom is, like, talking crap about it. And it just highlights the mental health stigma again. Yes, and he was going to bring the Elleville to Tony. He was going to help him with that. And it's it's super sad, that ending. So we see Dickie's funeral. And you see that Tony has a hallucination, I guess. Or he just sees... Dickie reach up and Pinky promise him as they did when he was much younger. Pinky promise him to try to be good. That right there is, it's the closing to the movie and it is perfect. It, with the Pinky swear, you see him imagining this, which is something that you see in the show that Tony kind of has these intense dreams, hallucinations, all kinds of things like that pop up in the show. You get Christopher's voiceover where he says, this is the man I went to hell for. And the theme song of the Sopranos TV show begins playing. It gives me chills, that ending. Like, it is so perfect. Oh, it truly does. There's an epilogue as well, just a quick scene after the credits have started rolling, where you see Harold's business has taken off. You see he's doing well. I mean, you see him take out a wad of 100, so you know he succeeded. He was able to rise up. I rate this movie a 5 out of 5. It's a perfect movie for me. I know this is one of your favorite movies of all time, and he's going to talk crap. I gave it a 4.7 Oh. Yeah, yeah, I gave it a 4.7. What? What did you not like about it? I think some of the timeline stuff is a little weird, which, like, I know that that's being super nitpicky. And, like, certain things about it, I'm just, it just makes me more upset. And it's um, a sad movie. It is a very sad movie. It's not a happy movie. It's never happy. But I don't, like, I don't, I think it's a very good movie. But I think for me, I was probably comparing it to The Sopranos, which would be a 5 out of 5. And it didn't hit like that for me. Um, it's still very good. A 4.7 is literally almost perfect. Anyway. Anyway. All right, let's play a game. So I have for you a list of people over there that are in the movie. One of them's not in the movie. Most of those people on the list 
are in the movie. Which one is not? Richie? I don't think Richie Aprile was in the movie. It could have been or him Carmella standing. Is not. Oh, Carmella is in the movie. It could have been, but it he didn't been, say his yeah, name. Yeah, he didn't say his name, so I don't want to assume. So I have on my side, I have 10 quotes. I'm going to read you the quote, and then you have to tell me who on that list said it. Is this 10 people? Yes. Is everybody 10 only people, used 10 quotes. Once? Yes. Okay. There's an old Italian saying, you fuck up once, you lose two teeth. Oh my gosh. Okay, pass. I need I need to I need okay. to do these like one at a time. Other people's definitions of you, sometimes they're more about making themselves feel better. You got to define yourself. <laughs> okay, you want to pass? Yeah. Oh okay. my gosh, I need to get to one I know and then like we'll take these off. You're Santa Claus, so shut the fuck up about it. That's Tony. That's Polly. Oh, Polly <laughs> says that to Bobby. Dang it. Okay, okay. You're doing terrible. <laughs> I've literally done one. Yeah, but you skipped two already. Do you want me to go back? Yeah. There's okay. an old Italian saying, you fuck up once, you lose two teeth. How about I give you a little bit more context? Janice yeah. says, for every 19, or for every 20 mistakes a child makes, you forget 19. And the reply to that by this individual is, there's an old Italian saying, you fuck up once, you lose two teeth. That's Tony. Yes. Tony says that. Okay. okay. Other people's definitions of you, sometimes they're more about making themselves feel better. You gotta define yourself. Is that Sylvie? <laughs> it's Christopher. What, like, what shit lines <laughs> you're thinking? They're not even memorable lines. Yes, they are. Fine, the next one. What's different between you and me is you're going to hell when you die. Carmela says that. Yes. When her and, yeah. If there's ever anything you can do for me, let me know. If there's ever anything you can do for me... That sounds so Janice. Mm. No, okay, skip. <laughs> okay, make peace or make him disappear. Sylvie. Yes, Sil Silvio. Sil. <laughs> okay. Livia is like a woman with a Virginia ham under her arm, That's crying junior. the blues because she's got no bread. <laughs> That's junior. Yes. I guess because you know how to eat, you know how to run a restaurant. Think about what I just said there. I guess because you know how to eat, you know how to run a restaurant. Well, Artie says that yes. to, to Tony. To Tony, yeah. Ooh, Tony. Mm. I wish the Lord would take me now. Oh, that's Olivia. Yes. Okay, the only person I'm missing is... Richie. Richie Priya's the one that says, if there's Janice. ever anything you can do for... Janice. Oh, I must have read over one. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I fucking gave you the other one. All right, well, the last one that's know. Janice is... I don't know what Richie said. I, I didn't hear your line. If there's ever anything you can, can do, do for me, me, let me know. Okay. Well, Janice was, well, I'd like to see a Gumar who's going to let him hold a gun to their head when they fuck. Oh, she's talking about Ralph. No, that was Richie. Ralph liked to be pegged. God. All right, shall we do sequels? Yeah. All right, go ahead. So um, I want to preface this with I feel like we were going to do the same thing. I feel like the sequel to this is direct how Tony became Tony at the beginning of The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. However, I shook it up. Okay. I shook things up, and I t it's a prequel to The Many Saints of Newark. Oh, even further back. Even further back, and it's called This Thing of Ours. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. And it's a prequel to The Many Saints of Newark. It's going to be kind of like an origin story of the DeMeo crime family, mm -hmm. if that is a thing. Like, if that happened, like, we'll just say it happened, because we don't really know... We yeah, don't need any DeMeo's, like, there. none of that. But I wanted to show how each of the characters ended up being a part of the mafia. Like, Syl, Polly, Pussy, all of them. How they got in. Like, how are they all... Because they're not all a DeMeo. Yeah. So how... You don't ever see their parents. 
No. Like nothing. Like how did they get in? Is it just because they were Dickie's friend? Like what was it? But I feel like we should do that. And I, I want it to reveal who Dickie's uncle killed and why. Yeah. I think that that will be a major plot point and a turning point in the movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, As to why, like, was it really like what we talked about? Was it really Hollywood Dick? Was it really, like, did he kill the made man because the made man was going to kill his brother and his brother never knew? Yeah. Like, and then his brother blamed him. Like, what was it? And ultimately, I want to see how the Sopranos and the Multisantis are quote-unquote related and why they consider themselves family. Because not everyone's like, oh, my Uncle Dickie. He doesn't say my Uncle Sal, my Uncle Polly, my Uncle Sill. Something has to relate them somehow as to why they call them that. Um, and it's going to end, I want it to show ending with either Johnny or Junior Soprano joining the crime family mm-hmm. with the, the Sopranos theme song playing. Because nice. that will be the very first Soprano as yeah, the crime family. the first Soprano to join it, them. I'm assuming it's be- it would be because Dickie... Yeah. is you know but it's gonna be like it's gonna basically start when like dickie's like a child you know because yeah. dickie never knew his uncle and it's because he's been in prison all those years yeah so it's an even further prequel I and mean, that could be real interesting i think a lot of people do like you could go so far as to kind of touch on the actual history of the alleged mafia and well, how mafias what, start that was my original idea and that's why i mean we were talking about this like all today without we're like man we have to stop talking yeah but I wanted it to be like, oh, when they came over from Italy. Yeah, exactly. How did they... How does this kind of stuff How did they become the five crime families? Yeah, I mean, this very much could be a real history kind of thing. I mean, the same way they touched on the riots of Newark. But I think if it was the the five crime families, it's a five-season deal. Each season. One for each family. But anyways, this is my... It's a movie called This Thing of Ours. Well, mine... It's called Capo, a, ha- a soprano story. Oh my gosh, he did it, guys. <laughs> so, more of a focus on the eventual soprano crime family, you know, Silvio, Ralph, Jackie, Polly in the 80s, uh, starting off with Tony finishing high school. And how does it, but, how does it become the soprano f- crime family? Because I feel like people maybe need to know. Well, it kind of, it doesn't really become the soprano crime family until, I can't even tell you which season, but it's, it's in... It, yeah, it's further on. When the show starts, Tony is reporting to Jackie April, and Jackie April, of course, gets sick and then leaves. He dies. He, he, well, yeah, he dies. He kind of leaves Tony in charge, but at the same time, there's that power struggle between Junior and Tony. Yeah. Anyway, starting off with Tony finishing high school, and Tony continues to be involved in small crimes. You see this in The Many Saints of Newark just with things like you know, at school, taking the bets. he They steal that ice cream truck, things like that. So you kind of see just more small crimes here and there. And then eventually he drops out of college. And, and to be fair, fucking everything I have here was said in the show. I didn't do anything innovative here. I just took stuff from the show. If there was going to be a sequel to this movie, it'd probably hit on these points that I'm hitting. Anyway, Tony continues to be involved in small crimes as he begins college, but eventually he drops out. And Carmela is going to be revealed to be giving birth to Meadow soon. You know, she's going to be quite far along in her pregnancy. And because of that, Tony plans a hijacking with his cousin, Tony Blundetto, because he's frustrated and desperate. Not only did he drop out of college, he doesn't know where his future's going. You know that he needs money for this kid. 
and he's not involved in the crime family, so he's not rich, well-off, anything like that. But Tony is a reactive person, so as a reaction to dropping out of college, he decides to try and take his crime that much higher with the hijacking. Livia Soprano is, of course, berating and insulting Tony not only over the state of his life, how he dropped out of college, that kind of thing, but the night, of course, as mentioned in the show, Carmela was supposed to come over, but she had already given birth to Meadow at that point. She was about three months old, and she does not show up. And so Tony and Livia get into an argument as he's finally going out for this hijacking he's been planning. And he has his first panic attack outside, which would lead to, of course, Tony Blundetto's arrest. But as Tony is unconscious from this panic attack, he has a dream similar to the dream sequences that you see in The Sopranos. You know, he has these very intense dream sequences in The Sopranos. I think a couple of them take up one or two episodes fully it's after junior shoots him it takes up a couple of episodes like he's teetering death yes so that's a big one but there's also like times where he sees pussy and that kind of thing mm -hmm. anyway during this dream he would see dicky moltisante who tries to talk to him and you know kind of back him off from the path he's about to take because this hijacking would have been one of his first big crimes and tony shuns him because you know he still feels very much abandoned by him i know dicky died but at the same time their last interactions were not positive so he shuns dicky eventually he does you know wake up from this panic attack dream kind of thing tony blundetta was arrested he decides not to go through with the hijacking so he's still in need of a big score as meadow is nearing the age of one and he plans to rob Feech Lamana's card game. So while Tony and Jackie are successful in robbing the card game, the DeMeo family is looking for blood, but due to Tony's connections, he's able to return some of the money and instead make a name for himself, leading to Polly taking Tony under his wing. So Polly eventually leads Tony to his first murder, which is a small-time bookie. They claim the bookie has hustled them. Uh, the bookie's name is Willie Overall. That was mentioned in... The show i mean they mentioned his first murder that like i said all this is covered in the tv show but seeing it i think is the interesting part so he goes to make his first murder of willie overall but it turns out even though they claim this guy is stolen from them he just insulted feach and that plays well because you see in the sopranos when feach comes back out of prison even though he's an old man he's full of rage you might not remember him but you might recall that he attacks that person mowing the lawn because he claims this is his nephew's area he barely yes. nearly yeah. beats this guy to death anyway so they basically order this murder just because he insulted him not because he actually stole from him and that also plays well with the fact that the mafia or the crime family is willing to lie to get people murdered, just like they do to Christopher in the future. So, Tony's first murder would be the end of the movie, leading to one final dream sequence where Tony can see himself rising to the top with an upset Dickie watching from afar. And end the movie. I like it. Yeah. I mean, like I said, nothing new there. It's all little bits. I didn't necessarily come up with anything new either. Well, your, I mean, your stuff was, it's not stuff that's been mentioned. You could really expand there. Mine, like I said, you have to keep with what he told to his therapist. Like, yeah. you break off from that too much. I mean, they have broken off from that. Anyway, uh, thank you for making it this far. We hope you enjoyed. If you are able and willing, please share our show with someone, leave us a review, and come back for more next week. If you'd like to vote on whose sequel idea was the best, come by our YouTube channel for the polls. Or let us know your idea with a comment, tweet, or you can reach us at needlesssequel at gmail.com. Links, as always, will be wherever you are listening. All right, be easy, everyone. We will see you next week. Bye!